0: Welcome to OVS Orbit, the podcast for OpenVSwitch users and developers. This is episode number 54. This episode is the first in a series of OpenVSwitch tech talks that we are starting to run internally at VMware every week or two. This episode is particularly about read-copy-update, or RCU for short, and how it's used in OpenVSwitch. On to the talk. Welcome to the first of our uh, OVS Tech Talks. Uh, Today I'm going to be talking about RCU because that's what everyone said they wanted to hear about first. And I think I'm probably the one on the team who, at this point, knows the most about RCU. Uh, So I guess I should probably start with, you know, what is the idea behind RCU? So first of all, it uh, it stands for Read, Copy, Update, which is not very explanatory at all. Uh, so what I think I'm going to do is go through a scenario in which you might actually want to use uh, RCU or, or something like it, uh, and then we can sort of uh, work through to uh, what it is and how it works. So uh, consider a scenario where you've got a multi-threaded program, uh, and the motivation for RCU comes from the Linux kernel or other operating system kernels where you don't have a multi-threaded program so much as a, a, a program that runs on uh, multiple CPUs simultaneously uh, and you've got uh, some kind of a, a data structure that's very read heavy so uh, you want to be able to uh, read this data structure for multiple threads or on multiple CPUs and occasionally uh, you want to be able to update it uh, but your your big goal is that you want it to be available for reads cheaply uh, without having to Uh, do uh, synchronized uh, uh, reads and writes just to make sure that it's there and that you can safely access it. Uh, But on the other hand, you you do want to have some way uh, to safely update the thing uh, from from time to time. So uh, the traditional way that I learned in my operating systems courses, and maybe some of you did too, the um, traditional way to deal with this is with something called a reader-writer lock where uh, the lock essentially has two sides to it. Uh, It has a read side and any number of CPUs or threads can take the read side. And in fact, uh, you can usually take the the read side recursively from a single thread. Uh, And uh, on on the other hand, uh, it has a writer side and uh, only a single thread uh, can take the writer side at a time and it has to, and before it can acquire it, it has to wait for uh, everybody to release the read side. So that means that uh, any of your threads that want to read the thing, but uh, they don't need to write it, can take the read side, and so they can all work in parallel. Uh, and if there's uh, some part of the program that needs to update it, then it takes the write side and presumably does some reads to make sure that everything's in the state it expects. And, uh, and then it, it writes to it and it releases the write side. So reader writer locks are great conceptually, but they have some pretty big flaws from uh, the viewpoint of a real program. And the biggest flaw there is that it's pretty expensive to take the read side. Uh, In your typical implementation of a reader-writer lock, uh, taking the read side uh, does a a read-modify-write against a a piece of memory that's shared among uh, all the CPUs or all the threads. Uh, So that means that you're doing a a synchronized uh, read and write of a piece of memory just to be able to read something else. So uh, in a multi-threaded program, uh, that's one of the really expensive things uh, uh, to do uh, because uh, you have to bring the cache line into your CPU uh, exclusively uh, and, and modify it and you end up uh, ping-ponging the, uh, the cache line among all of the threads, that all of the CPUs uh, that want to access the data structure. It's actually a pretty expensive way uh, to get uh, access to something for reading. Uh, the, the right side um, is, is about as expensive, uh, but that's not a big deal because you actually need um, things to be uh, exclusive on that side. So, uh, then the question is if a traditional reader-writer lock isn't a good way, isn't an efficient way uh, to manage this kind of, kind of access, what are the alternatives? Well, uh, you can do things like adapt your uh, your reader-writer lock uh, to, to scale better. Like, uh, for example, uh, it, it's pretty easy to invent a reader-writer lock variant, where you give each uh, CPU or each thread its own cache line, um, and then they only have to do a, a local uh, access on their own CPU uh, to get the read lock. Um, that that has the disadvantage that uh, then you have to dedicate a whole cache line of memory uh, per CPU uh, or per thread uh, to each of these locks. So. Uh, It's expensive memory-wise, but the other disadvantage there is that when you do want to take the right side, uh, that gets even more expensive because uh, you have to uh, essentially take the read lock on every one of those threads or CPUs, and you have to keep track of where they are. So um, there there might be other refinements to reader-writer locks that that I don't know about, but in general, uh, that technique just doesn't seem to uh, scale all that well um, to this, uh, this kind of a problem. So... Uh, That brings us to ideas that uh, are outside of reader-writer locks. So uh, I imagine that most of you have come across the idea of lockless uh, algorithms. And uh, the basic idea behind a lockless algorithm is, uh, well, let's start with something simple. Suppose you have a a single word of memory that maybe uh, uh, represents something like a counter or a bit mask. So uh, to access that in a lockless manner, usually what you would do is you would... uh, you would read the word of memory that's atomic that's not a big deal um, and if you needed to update it, then you'd use something like a compare and exchange operation so that you comp- uh, that in a single atomic instruction compares whatever you read before uh, to make sure it's still there and if it is, then it swaps it with whatever you want to be there now uh, so that works really well for these uh, sort of single word data structures or or whatever data structures your uh, your CPU can uh, do a atomic read-write uh, in a single instruction. So that's great. The, the problem uh, arises when you need to deal with things that are bigger than that. Um, if, uh, for example, uh, you, you want to uh, do a, a big data structure where uh, uh, you, you can't do a compare and exchange, then uh, at, first, uh, at first thought you're kind of out of luck. Uh, but then you probably come across the idea of uh, instead of compare and exchange the data structure, uh, you compare and exchange a pointer to it. So this has a lot of, uh, lot of advantages. Um, uh, consider uh, what you might do. You've got uh, some uh, particular uh, uh, data structure, some, uh, some memory region. Uh, you want to uh, produce a new version of it. So uh, you, you basically copy it, and, uh, and, then you, uh, and then you write whatever you want to the new version of it. That's fine. Uh, and you do a compare and exchange with the pointer. So this is actually really effective. Um, there's, uh, there, there's not really a problem here, um, except that, uh, well, uh, eventually you've got this old bit of memory uh, that had the previous value. And the question is, when can you get rid of it? When can you free that memory? If you never have to free it, uh, then it's, it's not a big deal. But presumably, you're going to run out of memory eventually if you, uh, if you just leave, uh, leave it there. So uh, you can't free it immediately because there might be some reader that has followed the pointer to the old region um, and it's currently looking at it. So if you free it immediately, then uh, you could easily corrupt whatever it's looking at. On the other hand, it's not really safe to say, just pick a, a fixed amount of time, say a second or even a minute, uh, and, uh, and free it after that amount of time because first of all, um, you, could, uh, you could easily waste a lot of memory that maybe you couldn't afford in the meantime and there's no, really, there's no real guarantee that after some, you know, any fixed amount of time uh, that uh, the, the memory will uh, no longer be in use. So uh, the, the question that RCU solves is actually just this one. It's a way to cheaply figure out uh, what, uh, at what time uh, you can free memory uh, that a, a pointer that was locklessly replaced or replaced another way um, when when you can free that, that data that uh, should no longer be pointed to. So it, it's a way to figure out uh, when there cannot be any threads that are looking at the, the old memory uh, so that you can discard it. Let's think about different ways uh, you could do that. So the, the one that comes to mind for me uh, right away is you could use some sort of reference count. Like, uh, for example, um, in this... This memory, this old memory region, if somebody is reading it they could have incremented the reference count and then when they're done with it they decrement it, eventually it goes to zero, eventually gets freed. So that, I mean it's a good idea. Uh, the problem with that is that incrementing and decrementing that reference count is exactly the same problem as, uh, as taking and releasing uh, a read lock because both of them uh, have the, the same sort of uh, um, cache uh, uh, problems. Both of them require you to, uh, um, to f- default that, that cache line into your CPU and modify it uh, exclusively. Um, it's, it's the same problem, the same cost. So uh, that doesn't work. So uh, the, the clever idea um, behind uh, RCU uh, is that it doesn't try to uh, keep track of these things on a, on a block by block basis or a pointer by pointer basis. Instead. RCU figures out uh, when it's, uh, it, it does things on more like a, a per-thread basis. So uh, in, in RCU, uh, there's a concept of each thread uh, in your system or each, uh, um, each CPU in your operating system. Uh, it classifies them at any given time as either active, which means that they might be accessing uh, some pointer that's managed through RCU, some memory block. Or quiescent, which means that they are known uh, not to uh, not to be accessing any of those pointers, and not to be retaining uh, any of those pointers. So that uh, when a thread becomes quiescent, it means that uh, that it's discarded all all knowledge of those. And uh, if if it's going to access anything uh, through RCU after it becomes active, then it will only do it by uh, by following pointers that are currently valid in the system. So. Uh, the the insight behind RCU is that uh, if if you identify a point in time, and then uh, and then you wait uh, after that point in time until uh, all every thread in the system has been quiescent at least once, you know at that point uh, at that later point that you can free everything uh, that was uh, uh, that 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 had been um, that had been swapped out that, that was no longer pointed to at the previous time. I don't know if that uh, uh, entirely made sense, um, but uh, the 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 idea is that uh, an RCU-based system will usually have a function in it uh, named uh, something like uh, um, like like synchronize. And if you look at the uh, um, look look at uh, what what we have in the OVS RCU library, there's a function called OVS RCU synchronize, and what that does. Is it it blocks until um, until every every thread inside that process in OVS, uh, and I think currently OVS vSwitchD is the only process that uses RCU in OVS. It, it blocks until every every other thread um, in the process has uh, has become quiescent at least once, which uh, in RCU terms is called a grace period. So. Uh, Suppose that you need to, uh, in your code, uh, replace an RCU pointer uh, by a pointer to something new. Then the simplest way you can do it is to uh, allocate your new memory, uh, swap in the new pointer, then call OVS RCU synchronize uh, to wait until the old pointer can't possibly be in use anymore, and then, uh, and then free that old pointer. So it can take quite a while uh, sometimes, uh, for this uh, grace period to come about. So uh, the main problem with, uh, with this technique is that um, after you do that swapping, uh, your, your process, uh, your thread, uh, might have to block for quite a while. So uh, RCU uh, also has an alternative technique um, and, uh, that, that doesn't require the, the thread that's uh, doing the replacement to block. And that's called, uh, in, in OVS anyway, it's called OVS RCU Postpone. Uh, and so what this does is...
1: What you're saying is that for the OBS RCU Synchronize, you will call it only when you want to proceed with the new pointer and you want everyone to have the new pointer, like be using the new pointer after this point of time. Uh,
0: uh, right. Um, you, you can think of it as anybody who's uh, encountering the data will have the new data. That, that's certainly um, it, uh, one, one use for it. But the primary use is to make sure that, that nobody's using the old data so that you can free it.
1: Oh, okay. So in, immediately after this call, since it can it and it can, will block and wait for everyone to uh, kind of not access the old data, you can safely free up the, the old data after this point of time?
0: Yeah. This call. Yeah, that's, uh, it, it's certainly valid to think of it as making sure everyone's doing, using the new data. But usually I think of it as more as making sure nobody's using the old data.
2: So how do you determine the grace period though? Is it because are all of the threads expected to go through the main loop and call some sort of functions that they know that they passed through all of the functionality that would have used that memory?
0: So a grace period or a quiescent period is definitely depends on the program. Like uh, in the kernel, uh, there's a, a grace period or th- there's a quiescent period uh, whenever the system isn't running in the kernel, so if you're running in user space, then that thread is is quiescent in the kernel, so that that can trigger a, a, a grace period. In in OVS, um, there's a few functions that can that can block where uh, we've set those up to be grace periods. But yeah, like you said, the the main one is that whenever you go through the main loop and you call pull block, um, that that is a quiescent uh, period and. Uh, can, can trigger a grace period as
2: well. And so then you need to be aware, though, that you're not maintaining that data through a run of the pull block, right? Uh,
0: right. Um, and if, if you look at what we usually do, usually uh, what happens after pull block is more or less independent of what happened before it, since it's a, a loop that, that goes round and around again, and there's we, we just don't retain much state across it. I was talking about how uh, OVS RCU synchronized can be inconvenient because because it blocks, uh, which is going to slow uh, that thread down. So the, the alternative is to call uh, OVS RCU postpone, uh, and what you pass to that is a function and an argument to the function, and then presumably that uh, that that function that you're passing in that callback uh, will actually free the data that, that's no longer needed. So uh, what this does internally is it takes that callback and it appends it to a thread-specific list. And when that list gets long enough, uh, it gets appended to a global list. And there's a, um, there's a separate thread that all it does is uh, collect uh, callbacks from the global list. And uh, once it's collected a, a bunch of them, then it calls OVS RSU synchronize, and then it calls all the callbacks, and then it loops. So it, it's a, a thread that's just dedicated to uh, to collecting callbacks and figuring out when uh, when it can call them and then then calling them. It's uh, actually uh, very simple. Uh, if, if you look at the implementation of it in ovsrcu.c, then there's a little bit more uh, to it than that. Uh, but uh, most of it is really just making sure that it isn't. Uh, um, isn't getting uh, tangled up in its own mechanisms. The most common question I get about the OVS RCU implementation is, why aren't you using liburcu? Uh, so lib-urcu is a library that was written by uh, some of the same people who wrote the Linux, RCU, Linux kernel uh, RCU implementation, which is a very high quality implementation that I uh, admire a great deal. The, the reason we aren't using it is that lib-urcu uh, only supports GCC, um, and presumably it supports Clang because that implements most of what GCC does. Uh, but it, uh, it, doesn't imp- it doesn't support uh, Microsoft Visual C um, or any other compiler, uh, to my knowledge. And uh, it would be really hard to adapt it uh, to uh, support those compilers because it uses GCC-specific features in the syntax that I've never heard of other compilers uh, implementing. So while I would really like to use liburcu, it's, it's a great library. Um, it just won't work for, for OBS, at least not unless we uh, uh, switch away, away from using uh, um, Microsoft Visual C uh, for the Windows builds. That might actually be a possibility uh, because I know that uh, there are some large projects. I think, I think Chrome is one that have recently switched to using uh, Clang on Windows. So uh, uh, possibly if in the future we switch to using Clang, then we could discard our own implementation, which which would be pretty nice actually. Um, the OVS R- RCU implementation, uh, it, it seems to work fine, uh, but from time to time, uh, I, I worry about uh, it, its performance compared to LibU RCU, because uh, um, that library is able to, uh, it, it will actually Keep up uh, multiple uh, of these callback calling threads if necessary, Uh, and if if you have uh, if you have a system where you're trying to uh, where you're doing a lot of allocating and freeing at at high speed, I I worry whether uh, our implementation uh, would be able to free as fast as it can allocate. Um, But that that's getting off on a a real tangent. Let's see a few more uh, details to RCU. So uh, first of all, there are some uh, memory synchronization details. Uh, because of uh, the uh, because of memory ordering issues, it it's safer if uh, pointers that are protected by RCU uh, use some uh, special uh, special macros to, uh, to to mark them, and then use uh, um, other special macros to dereference them. And what that does is it, it makes sure that the um, that the compiler doesn't reorder the accesses through those pointers uh, to uh, points uh, uh, to points in which the uh, um, the there there might have been a quiescent state. Um, that that's a little confusing to uh, to say, and it's even more confusing to code. Uh, but. Uh, at any rate, uh, there are some some small risks of the compilers uh, reordering things if, if you don't uh, if you don't do that. Those risks are probably uh, really minimal with OVS because our quiescent states uh, are we're, we're generally not marking them explicitly. They they generally happen uh, only within pull block. Uh, but for uh, the the maximum safety, I decided to uh, imitate the, uh, the the macros that, that Linux uses for uh, to, to get the memory ordering right. Uh, and, and this way uh, I, I mostly figure it's uh, better safe than sorry. Uh, and it, it also has this, uh, this nice effect that in the source code you can very clearly say see which pointers are protected by RCU uh, so that at the least you, you know uh, where the, the pitfalls might be. Uh, let's see. Oh, I guess another thing is that um, RCU uh, protects the reads but it doesn't do anything to synchronize writes. So if you, have, if you have code that's multi-threaded that's updating something that has RCU readers, then you still need to do something to protect it. So often uh, RCU code will have a, have a mutex uh, to uh, protect the writers. So uh, you, you can actually take code that's been written in t- terms of uh, reader-writer locks. And uh, when you do that, usually you end up uh, converting the, um, the, the write lock side to, uh, to take a mutex. And the the read lock side, uh, usually um, all the locking, all the synchronization just goes away there. Um, So the the really nice thing about RCU is that uh, the read side is completely free. There's uh, there's no runtime cost there at all. The other thing uh, to keep in mind in RCU is that um, if you have code that uh, is not in a quiescent state and blocks, then that delays all the uh, all the RCU freeing for, uh, uh, for the entire program. So it's, it's important that if a, if a thread is active, that it, it not block. And it's also important that it uh, pretty, uh, pretty regularly and promptly returns to the quiescent state. Um, so in OVS, that, that means that uh, the, the trips through the main loop should not be arbitrarily long, but that the program uh, should should loop through that, that main loop uh, fairly often. That's been sort of the OVS philosophy from the beginning. So when we introduced RCU, uh, that uh, really didn't add too much. But occasionally we come across some code in, in OVS that can that can take uh, a long time uh, on the way through the main loop. And uh, when we notice that, we uh, try to do something about it, like uh, uh, we try to uh, reduce the number of iterations of that code uh, during a, a particular trip to the main loop or uh, occasionally um we actually end up introducing um explicit quiescent uh periods uh during a single trip to the main loop. That's pretty rare um because it's it's also pretty confusing to uh to have those anywhere deeply nested in the program because it's kind of hard to tell whether the callers to a function uh might be keeping a pointer that they uh obtained uh via RCU. So that's Basic summary that I was planning to give uh, for RCU. Uh, there's a lot of documentation for the specifics in the OVS RCU uh, .h header file, um, and there are all kinds of details that we could delve into if people are interested.
1: So, uh, in in the vswitchd code, uh, so generally, is it the whole block function where we have put the the, the quick state?
0: Yeah, there's an assumption buried in the pull block code that any time you hit there, it's a quiescent state. Uh, so it, it's it's sort of implicit. Um, usually that's correct, um, because usually the the main loop, uh, like I, I said earlier, is in some sense stateless. Um, but occasionally there are, are functions that we call uh, that uh, that that might call pull block themselves, and those could potentially be pitfalls. Um, I haven't run into anything like that, um, but if it eventually happened, I, I wouldn't be shocked.
1: Essentially, you, you have put it there because we assume that that thread at that point is not going to access any old pointer. Right. And like I've seen that in the poll block, like generally you put a start and end, the, the O V S RCU QS start, and so I guess that's the time when you are letting the the RCU thread know that this thread is now in the in a. But I also see that there is an explicit call to just obvious RCU QS. So is that like just like momentarily telling okay, I may not be in this blocked state for uh, now. So but let me just go through the 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 housekeeping of the QS. Uh, is that is that why, why there's a there's a RCO QS call when you're not calling start and end?
0: Uh, right. So uh, a, a quiescent you can have a quiescent moment, um, or you could have a quiescent period. So um, if if you if you start it uh, and end it, usually that means that in the middle you might be calling some possibly blocking function like select or pull or sleep or whatever. Um, if you're just calling quiesce then that's, I mean, it, it's equivalent really to saying I'm starting a quiescent period and then I'm immediately ending it.
1: Because you know you, you won't be blocking. Right. Your your time has probably run out for the poll or something. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. So I feel that if a pointer is protected by the ICU mm-hmm. and we cannot get hold of that point we I mean, across like whole loop or something.
0: Uh so, yeah, um, uh, an RCU-protected uh, pointer should not be kept uh, across a, a pole, uh, uh, across a quiescent period, like a, from from one uh, iteration of the poll loop to the next. It's pretty rare that we need to do that, but there are a few cases where we do. So uh, there's a few data structures in OVS where they're RCU-protected and uh, they have a, a reference count. So uh, the way that works is that um, in most cases, we only need to uh, access the pointer uh, briefly. Uh, and in that case, you just use RCU. Uh, but in some circumstances, it might be necessary to keep the pointer for a longer period. And so when that happens, uh, in addition uh, to R- RCU, we, uh, we increment the reference count. And that reference count is what keeps it alive uh, from one uh, pull loop iteration to the next. Um, and, I mean, if... Uh, if we always had to increment the reference count, then the RCU uh, usage there wouldn't be valuable. Uh, so we only use that if we only sometimes uh, need to keep it for a long time.
1: So I can see that the, you have a OBS RCU get to get the pointer which is stored in that object, RCU object, and set is when you set it. But there are like protected version as well, OBS get protected.
0: Oh, okay. So, get and set are for cases where, uh, right, we're just doing RCU. The, the protected versions, uh, those are, uh, they, they have slight optimizations uh, for the case where um, we, we have some lock or, or we have something else that means that uh, it, it can't, can't possibly change, um, that, that we have, uh, we have synchronization. So for example, if, if we're in the middle of changing something, uh, so that, uh, for example, we took the mutex that protects it, then we can use the protected version. And uh, that, that has some, I, I think that has fewer memory barriers. So it probably allows the compiler to optimize it slightly better. It's also pretty good documentation that the compiler, that the programmer thinks at this point that, uh, that, that they have the lock or, or, or whatever. I have to admit that uh, the, uh, the memory ordering issues are something that I find really slippery um, in, in my mind. So I, I usually, uh, when I've encountered them after a while of not thinking about it, I have to go uh, read up on it again. Uh, so uh, I, I personally find these, uh, these macros and so on uh, to be uh, really helpful because uh, they, uh, they sort of keep the memory ordering issues uh, from uh, from being a big deal because uh, they, the, the macros and their semantics were thought, uh, thought through uh, fairly well in advance and generally you don't have to break through the abstraction and try to understand uh, the, the underlying memory, uh, memory ordering issues. I, and I, I really would like to switch to LibURCU someday if, uh, if, if that ever becomes possible by um, only using GCC, for example.
2: It would be interesting to see if uh, talking to the, the folks on the Windows side about um, switching to Clang, because you're right, they did they did get Chrome to work, so I would think that would be harder than whatever OBS needs to use.
0: Yeah, I, I would think so, too, just because Chrome is so big. Um, I... Uh, and there, there's always been uh, the option of using the... Um, GNU, uh, the GCC, Min MinGW64, um, but uh, I've I've always had the impression that uh, that uh, people who really use Windows don't think much of that, and I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure quite why, um, but uh, at any rate, Windows programmers tend to prefer uh, Microsoft Visual C.
2: Right, it might also free us. I mean, even beyond the RCU thing, there's we have certain weird. Like restrictions because of the Windows compiler as well that might be able to get rid of. Yeah,
0: I'd I'd be all in favor of that. Um, uh, maybe at some point we should uh, uh, try to do a better job of, of syn- uh, syncing up with uh, people who work on the Windows side. Um, I, I wonder uh, uh, what uh, um, what Aline would think, for example. I have
1: one question. So uh, let's say uh, there's a fast writer thread. It's getting data pretty fast, mm-hmm. and it does two sets before it the the rc reaches a the the q- 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 qsn state so in that case the readers will never see the first write or set uh, is that true like it will always see the last set that has happened by the writer thread
0: right so just just because a variable gets written doesn't mean that somebody will always read it um, it's it's definitely possible to uh, replace a, a pointer multiple times, and nobody else cares. Um, sure,
2: but it's also possible though that someone could have read it. So if you said it, but if you did two writes to it though, I mean you'd have to wait for the quiescence say, to
0: to. Right. There's there's no way in RCU to be able to prove that that nobody read uh, something that you wrote. Um, in in general, if if you can prove that, then it, that required some kind of synchronization that would have cost you uh, a, a, a lot of time. So the, the RCU philosophy is always to assume that anything that you wrote uh, could possibly have been read. And so uh, you just use the synchronization mechanism to uh, to free it after uh, nobody could possibly be uh, be uh, using it, as long as they're playing by the rules. Yeah, so isn't it very easy to make,
2: for programmers, point of view, very easy to make a mistake, like, for example, if I read the RCU pointer and then I save it somewhere, some data structure, and then I enter the pool block, and then after that, read that data structure again. But it's already, for in instance, they already get free. And
0: so it's definitely easy to make mistakes. I feel like in OVS, uh, it's a little harder to make these mistakes for a few reasons. One is because we have this uh, pretty uniform, uh, pretty uh, uh, well uh, done, uh, a pull loop structure that uh, every thread or, or just about every thread uh, uh, follows in in OVS. And then the second one is that uh, the most common place that you would save a pointer uh, that uh, that isn't isn't going to be uh, sort of that that could easily be missed is something like a, a global variable or a thread specific variable. But OVS doesn't use those very much. Uh, we have uh, data structures that are are more or less based on uh, on pointers from at most a few uh, scattered global variables. So most of what you're going to uh, arrive, most of the pointers you're going to follow are um, are through data are through the data structures that would have been replaced anyway. Um, and you know, it, it does seem like. There are some pitfalls there, I won't deny it. Uh, the, and because of those pitfalls, OVS resisted becoming multi-threaded for a long, long time. Uh, you, you remember that, Justin. We, we actually had it in a multi-process uh, structure for a while, uh, mostly because I was pretty worried about uh, the, the perils of, of multi-threaded synchronization. Uh, o- OVS actually at one point would would fork and then do IPC across uh, uh, across the, the fork processes. So and then at, at one point it just became clear that if we were going to get better performance, we'd require multiple threads. So at that point, you have to do something pretty smart if uh, if you want to actually get good performance out of those. And suppose we were just using uh, reader writer locks. Um, uh, those, have pitfall, those have pitfalls too. They uh, are pitfalls that are maybe a little more familiar to most people out of school than RCU, uh, but I don't think that they're uh, inherently easier. Um, and RCU has some real advantages too. Like um, suppose you're using reader-writer locks or just mutexes. Uh, with those, there's all these uh, ordering requirements to make sure that you don't deadlock. In, with RCU, since you're not taking any locks, you can't deadlock, there, there, are, no, uh, um, there are no read locks. Um, so you don't have to take them and you don't have the perils of taking them. It, it's actually um, a lot safer from that point of view. Um, how many lock ordering problems have we hit in OVS? Hardly any. Thanks for coming and I, I hope it was useful. OVS Orbit is edited and produced by Ben Pfaff using Audacity audio editing software and released under the Creative Commons Unported 3.0 license. The intro and bumper music in this episode is excerpted from Electro Deluxe by My Free Mickey and the outro from Girls Like You by Stefan Kartenberg, both under the Creative Commons Attribution Unported 3.0 license. For more episodes of OVS Orbit, visit OVSOrbit.org. Or for more information about OpenVSwitch, visit OpenVSwitch.org.